Hello, I'm Doug, and welcome to the Crew of Japan podcast, a weekly podcast where we take you on audio journeys through Japanese culture. This time on Crew of Japan podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. The genre of tokusatsu has become one of the most popular types of Japanese pop culture media, not only in Japan, but worldwide. Kamen Rider, Super Sentai and Power Rangers, Ultraman, Godzilla. The list of huge titles and characters can go on forever. What if I told you that without Marvel Comics' involvement, it's very possible the world probably wouldn't have Power Rangers as we know it, or the giant robot trope in Super Sentai as a whole? Enter Gene Pelk, Marvel's man in Japan. An unsung hero in Japanese and American pop culture, Gene was the visionary not only behind Japan's Spider-Man tokusatsu live-action show, but he also helped influence and produce Toei's earlier Super Sentai series, among so many other huge products both in Japan and worldwide. Today we are joined by special guest host Matt Alt, author of Pure Invention, How Japan Made the Modern World, co-host of Pure Tokyoscope podcast, and of course, friend of the podcast. Along with Matt, we briefly explore Tokusatsu and Gene's relationship with the genre, but then we jump headfirst into a fantastic deep dive conversation with Gene Pelk and his son Ted, where we get a behind the curtain peek into the world of Tokusatsu and animation from the 1970s onward. Gene and Ted share insight into what it was like being on the set of early Kamen Rider and Sentai shows. I was on a, one of the Kamen Riders. It was one scene where the monster was talking on the walkie-talkie and he was irritated, so he crushes it in his hand and blows up. And he's sitting there, and then they're waiting for 10 seconds while his hand's on fire, and then he's just sitting there, not moving. As soon as they go, Hayoke, you know, cut. He throws that thing and just screams bloody <laughs> How Gene played a pivotal role in pitching Japanese Spider-Man to both Stan Lee and Toei. And we sit in a Toei screening room and we play the first Spider-Man and the show ends and dead silence. And I'm sitting there going, oh shit, I'm done. I'm finished. I'm out of here. They hate this stuff. Except for one guy, Stan Lee stood up, applauded, and he said, this is great, Gene. This is a living comic book. How Gene created the initial concept of the U.S. version of Power Rangers. So I made a reel. Stan loved the idea. He, we did it with Sun Vulcan. Sun Vulcan it. was the first Power Rangers, but I nobody's see. seen that. Nobody's seen that. I make a, a pilot reel and I bring it over to L.A. Some other incredible connections Gene made throughout his career. What a career, Gene. Spider-Man, Ishinomori Shotaro, the Pope. I mean, few people can say that they've had this this many, uh, you know, interactions with such hallowed presences in their, in their uh, life and career. And so much more. This episode is a little bit of a lengthier one, but for a good reason. Gene and Ted share so much with us about their connection to the world of tokusatsu, influence of Japanese animation studios on American cartoons, mixed martial arts, and so much more. It's hard to imagine what things would look like without Gene being the pioneer that he was in multiple industries, especially tokusatsu. Let's hop into our conversation with Matt and then our interview with Gene and Ted Polk. Alright, so today we have Matt Alt of the Pure Invention fame. Uh, the book, and also Pure Tokyo Scope podcast that we oh, recently you, launched. Thank you. I want I want to give you some props because it's been phenomenal to listen to. I, I really enjoy all your episodes. So, oh, that's so great to hear. Thank you. Um, but you're also a friend of the podcast. You know, you've been you were our first episode. Oh, that's you, right. I was. I was your very you first episode. Yeah, you were. You were. Um, and I mean, I feel like you're the the guru on pop culture when it comes to no. Japan, I, at least in my of mine you know like you set the ground you set the foundation for a lot of my 
digging into, oh, that's really interesting. I didn't know that. And then starting to look into different stuff. So your book and just everything. Well, it's an um, honor. It's an honor to be told that. But well, no. And, and again, thank you again for uh, hopping on. And we're sitting down today with Gene uh, Pelk, who is really, um, for lack of a better term, an unsung hero in connecting Japan pop culture and U.S. pop culture. I don't really think he's gotten a lot of exposure out west. He he did have a couple YouTube videos that kind of documented his stuff, and he had a Disney Plus show that spoke specifically about Japanese Spider-Man. But that's about it. Yeah, Gene Gene is one of my favorite characters in the pop cultural pantheon, so to speak, because he played such a key role in linking like Marvel Comics properties with Japanese production companies. So he's today he's mainly famed among Spider-Man fans as making the Toei uh, Spider-Man, the Japanese live action Spider-Man show where Spider-Man comes from the planet Spider and pilots a giant robot called Leprodon. It's a very different take on Spider-Man than anything we have in the States. Definitely not Peter Parker. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> no radioactive spiders. But he also was really instrumental in some other shows like uh, Battle Fever J, which is mm-hmm. a um, a kind of early attempt to commercialize Miss Marvel. Uh, and they changed the character's name in production. But Battle Fever J is another show that came after Spider-Man and featured it kind of linked the Power Ranger style five person teams with giant robots. So Gene is also really key in that he, by, by agreeing to put that robot in the Spider-Man show, he, he literally changed the entire direction of those Sentai Power Ranger style shows. The Power yeah. Rangers wouldn't exist without him, actually, even though he isn't directly involved in, in that making that. That's, that's so true. Yeah. And, and my, my son is a huge Sentai fan. So I, like, we've watched early seasons of like, different stuff over the course of the pandemic. We've, through various means, uh, come across... Uh, the older seasons of the shows and Battle Fever J, Sun Vulcan, all those, those are the ones that Gene has really, like, I think it was like seasons like two through five or three yes. through something like that. The really yes. early after Go Ranger. Yes. Yes, Sun Vulcan. And then, yes, definitely. You know, so he's, he, he really is such a treasure trove of information from back then. And also not just live action. He was also the executive producer on a lot of those really popular 80s cartoons that were uh, toy crossovers like G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, and uh, my personal favorite, The Transformers. So he was an executive producer on Transformers the movie, which is, even if you're not a fan of The Transformers, one of the most exquisitely animated examples of hand-drawn Japanese animation that you will ever see, and I highly recommend checking it out. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, a lot of people didn't even know those those, that animation came from Japan. Yeah, and obviously, exactly. <laughs> you yeah. know, if they read your book, they do. Um, but uh, but yeah, like all that, like he was instrumental in orchestrating the relationship between those animation studios, the production studios in the U.S. and yes. the animation studios in Japan. So yes. we're gonna find a lot more out about that. Um, Definitely, real pioneer. Yeah, real pioneer. Yeah, yeah, and really unsung and and a jack of all trades almost in what he's done. He's had so many different business ventures over the course of his time yes. in Japan that uh, it's going to be really entertaining and fun to listen to. But uh, Matt, before we jump into the interview, I wanted to ask you your your personal experiences with maybe Japanese Spider-Man, because again, we're kind of hitting on primarily the purpose of the interview initially was, you know, the Marvel Tokusatsu connection, but it did kind of organically evolve into more of Gene's kind of thumbprint and fingerprint on so much. Yes. But to circle it back to Marvel... 
Um, you know, what is your relationship with Japanese yeah. Spider-Man? When did I first encounter Japanese Spider-Man? I think it was in the early 90s when I was living here in Japan and I was good friends. I made really good friends with a renowned translator by the name of Michael House, who did most of Anime Ego, you know, that uh, that translation company, the oh, anime release yeah, company. From, yeah. He did most of their translations early on. And he had, when I was living in Tokyo for a year during college, this insanely big collection of tokusatsu on Laserdisc. And wow. we would go over there and he would, his, oh, you haven't heard of this? You haven't heard of that? And he introduced <laughs> me to so much stuff. And I believe Spider-Man was one of them. And at the time, I, I just, I thought it was wild i was i was laughing at it i mean it's it's funny it's a, yeah. it's really funny to think of this iconic american hero so thoroughly reinterpreted with japanese sensibilities but yeah. now like you realize it's just way ahead of the curve now we're into the spider verse right like right. multiverses are the new big thing so the idea of reinterpreting spider-man was really off the wall back then it, now it's really understood that you do yeah that. and I, I another it's funny you mentioned multiverse and spider-verse i think the first time i actually heard about it i didn't even know it existed until i saw like a you know someone share like a facebook video or something right. like oh did you know that there was a japanese spider it's something like that around the time when it was either the comic book series of like the spider-verse sure, spider sure. or the movie i forget which one it was but um they definitely like introduced him like reintroduced him into the comic books but they also kind of had like a little like what cutscene or something at the very end of the uh, Into the Spider-Verse uh, yes. movie with Miles Morales. Um, and, you know, kind of hinting at like him coming in later on. But uh, I really didn't know much about it. And I had no idea that it played such a pivotal role in setting the, the foundation and the, the groundwork for how yes. like all the Power Rangers, like Super Sentai series and Power Rangers would be not only marketed, but developed Yes. Uh, over the course of time, like that, the the big robots versus you know all those robots weren't in. No, range. no, no. They it's, have and planes it, and stuff like that. But you know, it's hard to imagine now, looking back, like you know, forty years later. But the very first five man team Sentai like Proto Power Ranger show was called Go Ranger. It was a huge hit, but its sequel, which was called Jacker, um, and featured uh, four heroes using uh, card suit motifs, you know, like yeah. Hard Club Queen. It didn't yeah. do very well at all. And so they were about to pull the plug on that whole concept. Mm -hmm. And it was only after Gene's idea of bringing Spider-Man to Japan and then and then working with the Japanese toy company to put a robot in it that they realized, wow, this is this is a winning formula. It's like chocolate and peanut butter, right? Like, you know, you got yeah. my Sentai in your robot, you got my robot in your Sentai kind of thing. And it turned out to be the magical fuel that nourished the growth of this entire genre. It did. It's tempting to kind of view it as like campy and cheesy, but yeah. actually, you know, now looking back on it, you realize just how much love and like handcraft went into making the series. Like the suit is handmade. The robot is handmade. Like all of the effects are practical. There's like no optical effects except for like yeah. using models and things like that. It's, it's just amazing, amazing how much handiwork went into making that show. So I can't see it as cheesy anymore. It's art. What? And it's not only that, it's like you could, they'll touch on this in the interview too, but they really put so much, the budgets were limited. So the people who are doing this were really just trying to make it work with what they had. Yes. So it, you could really feel, like a lot of people said, like you feel the the love and passion yes. of the project going into all the <laughs> yes, the explosions and the uh, costumes and oh, totally, oh, totally, yeah. and just and just the 
playfulness of it all because it's like, you know, why not Spider-Man with a robot? You know what I mean? Like, why not fighting like crazy, creepy guys in in a you know in, in pleather suits in the streets of Tokyo? I mean, why not? It's yeah. the, the whole point of comics is to push the envelope of your of imagination. And right. like Japanese Spider-Man shows, it's, it's such a great case because it's almost like an A B comparison. Like Americans did their best, and it's great. I love the Spider-Man comic books. Now here's the Japanese, and here's their take on it, and it's awesome too in a totally different way. Yeah. Yeah. Especially at a time when I would say like localization really wasn't, I mean, Oh yeah, no, you know, going over like you, you I mean, again, he touches on it. I, I don't want to spoil too much, but yeah, he, it's just, it didn't translate well. No, to, like, that, that audience. there was no context for live action Japanese shows like that at the time because yeah. it was pre power Rangers and it just looked cheap to, especially to the post star Wars eye. Star Wars really changed everything, but like a lot of people don't know this. George Lucas went to Japan to kind of study special effects technologies before he made the Star Wars series. Because Japan was at the leading edge of special effects, practical special effects, suit special effects and things like that for a long time. And uh, there was very little in the West that could compete with Japanese sci-fi spectaculars like that. Star Wars totally rewrote the book and Japan looked behind the times after that. But now we see it for what it is, which is just really charmingly handcrafted, almost folk art. Seriously. I mean, it's, it's, it's consumer product, but it's just, it's so beautifully envisioned and and produced uh, within the realm of its budget and what they could do. Uh, I wish it did get more playtime back when we were kids. I would have loved it when I was like 10 years old, I think. Yeah. No, I mean, that would have been... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I grew up in the Power Ranger age, so we, we I guess I came into it, but I had no idea it came from Japan until oh, like, wow. way yeah, later. Oh, wow. Yeah, 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 you know? but that Well, was they were still the hiding thing, it right? back then a yeah, little bit. Yeah, that was, that was part of marketing. It, what, you, yeah. you didn't really know. Yeah, definitely. This is, just, again, just a taste of what's what's to come in the interview. And it, it's, it's a little lengthy one, and we, again, touch on a lot of different topics, but a very big chunk of the beginning of the interview, uh, probably the first 45 minutes, I want to say, is talking about Tokusatsu and his imprint on Spider-Man in, in Marvel's thumbprint in Japan. Because, I mean, yes. he was Marvel Japan. Yes. <laughs> they basically sent him there and left him to his own devices. Oh, and totally. Said, Can you imagine just being given, like, carte blanche to, like, market Mar- Marvel comics Marvel. somewhere? I mean, it's like, <laughs> they're, they're, they're like the Shonen Jump of America, you know? It's yeah. like, the, well, yeah. it's really, it's true. I mean, they're the two powerhouses, uh, uh, one in Japan and one in America, so... Um, he really had the fortune and the foresight to be there at the right place in the right time. It's just such an amazing story. Yeah, yeah. And I can't wait for all of our listeners to listen to it in just a few seconds. So let's just jump on into the interview. Spider-Man. Hello yep. out there, New Orleans. Hey. <laughs> that reminds me of an old song, Way Down Yonder in New Orleans. Yeah. I was shocked. You remember? That was done by Freddie Boom 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 Cannon. I actually I a little before the, my time. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know the name. I've heard the song. I haven't heard. The, I didn't know who sang it though. Well, going to New Orleans for Mardi Gras is on my bucket list. Oh yes. You haven't done it, but well, hey, you, you know, whenever you do come out here, and I, I, I'm sincere about this, let us know, and we will make sure we take you to a few places so you can enjoy yourself. I haven't been there since 2014. Yeah, it's been quite mm. a struggle. Yeah. Yeah. Teddy was there for WWE. I, I was oh, working wrestling at the time. So I went to WrestleMania? Yeah, I had to go down there for business meetings and everything because wow. uh, we work with WWE as well as several other, you know, 
wrestling and MMA groups over here. So I just happened to go down there because, you know, WrestleMania is a time where everybody can get together and actually talk. Otherwise, it's just email and phone. So sure. I think we're talking about tokusatsu today, so let's... Yes, uh, yes. yes, so speaking, <laughs> so speaking of tokusatsu... Let's get into Toei and the Marvel <clears throat> section. No, that, that, that's okay, because usually we, we lead off with an introduction and with our first question being, what is your connection to New Orleans? And clearly, Ted, uh, you mm-hmm. have a connection to New Orleans. You were here I for do. WrestleMania. Um, yeah. And Gene, you had just mentioned that your bucket list item is to go to new orleans from mardi gras right what else do you think of you had mentioned the song earlier um anything else that it, that when you hear the word new orleans what what comes to mind how about gumbo gumbo yeah that's for sure i just want to go back to bourbon street to eat and drink yes <laughs> well the, the the trick is the good stuff's actually not on bourbon street you gotta you yes. gotta shy away from bourbon street hey I, I need somebody like you a real tour guide i was i was on my own uh, right i wouldn't go so far as call me a real tour guide but, uh... <laughs> <laughs> well somebody who's gonna uh keep me out of trouble that's what I, I need a security guard with me so i can you know do a little more investigating yeah 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 well i i will make sure that whenever you guys do end up over here i'll get i'll, I'll get you the hookup I'll uh, show you guys around and take you to a couple good spots for food. But anyway, it was a good time and everything going. I remember that because that was the last time I talked to Bruno San Martino was in New Orleans at that oh, time. Yeah. I, I was actually at the WrestleMania there. I went I went to it. So, <laughs> so uh, That's a good one. Good memories of New Orleans. Would love to go back there. Well, again, whenever you do. Matt, you too, obviously. Oh, yes. <laughs> hey, oh, yes. The first, <laughs> I, uh, I well, am... Uh, a diehard, dyed-in-the-wool fan of New Orleans and its cocktail culture. I, uh, I look forward to uh, meeting up with everybody there. <laughs> well, let's right. do it. Let's plan it. And so we go. Yes. Gene, maybe you can tell us a little bit about how you came to be connected to Marvel Comics back in the 1970s. Okay, my connection. When people ask me, what brought me to Japan? I say three people. A woman, Stan Lee, and Spider-Man. <laughs> in that order? <laughs> tell, to, tell me more. I was going to college at a university in New York called Fordham, and I met my wife there. My wife happens to be a Japanese Eurasian, and when I saw her, I was thunderstruck. I looked at this girl and I said, oh my God, I've got to be with her. She was the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen. And she had was from Tokyo. So we started dating and I learned a lot about Japan at that time. And I started getting interested because what was going on was Japan, I have found out, was in an economic bubble. Everything was going very strongly here. And here and I say here because I'm sitting in Japan. In America, things were bad. Economically, there was a downturn due to the Arabian oil crisis, which pushed the price of gas and oil way up. So America was down, Japan was up. I took a number of trips to Tokyo and I liked what I saw. It was a clean country. It was on its way up, safe, clean, nice. I wanted to be there. And I figured, how the heck could I ever do anything in Japan? I don't know anything about Japanese culture. I don't speak the language. What could have worked for me? So I started looking around and researching what was possible for me to do. And one thing I saw in Japan, now this is the late 70s, is a tremendous proliferation of comic books. The Japanese call them manga. Mm-hmm. And they were everywhere. You could find manga in bookstores, subway kiosks, Daga, convenience stores, Daga everywhere, shows, wherever they were. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. huge boom. Meeting them, kids, adults, women, men, and they were about all kind of subject material. American comics were basically at the time about superheroes. Mm -hmm. It was DC and Marvel, and they were kind of limited to young men viewership. Japanese industry was far beyond that. And I started looking around and I found no American comics. I'd go to a Japanese bookstore and I'd ask for an American comic and they'd say, we don't carry it. Nobody cares for that. So I said to myself, hey, here's something. There's no American comics here. Maybe the, I can do something with this. So that plants the idea in my head that there's this opening for American comics. So I go back to the States. I'm in New York at the time and I'm doing my radio disc jockey show. And I start thinking about the possibility of taking American comics to Japan. I didn't know much about the story at that point, but I was a fan of Marvel. My favorite superhero was the Incredible Hulk. All right. Because I compared Hulk to America. Big, right. green, powerful. Right. <laughs> so right. That was my favorite character and it was Marvel. So one day I get on the phone and I call Marvel and I ask for Stanley and somehow I talk my way into it. He didn't know who I was. I didn't know who any of they were. But That's I knew awesome. them badly. So I made an appointment with him and I went to Madison Avenue in New York and I sat down with his office people. And I said, you know, Stan, your comics are everywhere. You're number one in America, you in DC. But in Japan, you don't even exist. You're not you're nothing out there. I said, why? And he said, Gene, I don't know why. We've never succeeded. I said, Stan, give me a chance. I want to go out there. Let me figure out what went wrong with Marvel and DC out there. Maybe I can come up with an idea. I'll come back with a deal. If you like it, you got something. If you don't like it, well, you're no worse off than you are now. So Stan said, okay, Gene, I believe, go ahead. Give it a shot. See what you can come up with. So I print a card of my name as a Marvel representative. And I go to Tokyo and I start meeting a lot of publishers. And I find out that American comics just simply don't work in Japan. And the reason for that was not the stories, not the characters, it was the comic book itself. Japanese comics are read from right to left. The American comics are read from left to right. But more than that, an American comic book is meant to be read. A Japanese comic book is meant to be looked at, like a storyboard. The actions in the pictures, in an American comic, you have to read a lot of word balloons and a lot of mm -hmm. stuff. So it was not comfortable for a Japanese audience to read. They just found it tedious. They preferred their style of storytelling. So I kept trying as a publisher, but frankly, I didn't succeed. I did make one deal with a company called Shueisha, and they put a Spider-Man comic in their very popular magazine called Playboy, Japanese Playboy. Mm -hmm. mm. So we ran our first comic in the Japanese Playboy, and frankly speaking, it did not succeed. What what a debut though. Why Playboy? Do you know why they put it in Playboy instead of a comic magazine? It was a very big selling magazine. Mm. It was very widespread. So I, it was a good chance, I thought, to get our name known. So I talked him into a deal in which I gave him a deal in a 10-week run. And we did the introduction of Spider-Man. I don't know why I convinced them of it, but for some reason they liked what I presented. And we did do it. But it failed because nobody was buying Playboy to look at comics. Right. Buying Playboy to look at the girls. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't, I, I've never personally bought a Playboy. I don't think I have. 
<laughs> and I, I, but I'm pretty sure a lot of people here say they read it for the articles. That's right. the article. That's like one of the biggest running jokes <laughs> right. ever. Right? And it's everybody's like laughs at you when you say that. Right? Yeah. Although I think that the Japanese one didn't actually have nudity in it, did it? I don't think oh, it had they, like the American version. Well, no, they did. They, so. they had a limited amount, but you have to remember the the laws were they couldn't yes. show any Kubrick read. They always had the and still now. Scratch it out, which is different now. But yes. Uh, but anyway, yes. anyway, what happens to me is the publishing fails. Mm. Right. So I big step. I quit my job in New York. I sold my house and I went to Tokyo. So I had burnt my bridges. I had to succeed or I was dead. So I start looking around for other stuff. And one of the things I noticed, which actually Ted brought my attention to, was Ted and his friends were going to an international school, mm-hmm. and they were all watching some TV. Called, which we're now calling Tokusatsu, was Japanese、yeah. superhero TV, and I started watching that stuff, and I thought, "Hey, this is great stuff. I love this." And I'm referring now to my early days when I'm watching things like Gorenja and Common、uh, Rider. Common Rider. Yeah, those are classics of the genre. Yeah, right. Those were my introduction to that genre, and I thought, "Hey, this stuff is great." If we could put Marvel in here, I think this might be the way to go. Maybe comics books themselves are not right, but the TV show—all the kids were watching it. Comic books were coming from TV. Merchandising was coming from TV. So I looked around and I'm figuring out who did this stuff. And I found a company by the name of Toei,、mm-hmm. was a film company and the producer of a lot of Common Rider and Godenja. They, together with somebody named Shotaro Ishinomori, right. Made what I considered to be the great tokusatsu of the time. Probably Kamen Rider was my favorite. So I made an appointment with the president of Toei, and I go over and meet him. And I said, "Listen, I got an idea. You guys are number one here. Marvel is number one in America. Why don't we make a deal where I get your characters from Marvel, and Marvel try to develop them. You get Marvel characters, and you develop them for Japan." So I made a deal with the president of Toei, and the first show we decided to do was Spider-Man, since that was our lead character.、Mm-hmm. Spider-Man stands out in my mind in Tokusatsu for several reasons. Number one, it's the first Amerasian Tokusatsu. Number two, it's the first time the giant robot、mm-hmm. was brought into genre. At that time, it had only been an animation. Now the reason why a lot of people ask me, did you bring in a giant robot in Spider-Man?、It、has nothing to do with Spider-Man.、Yes. I think it has everything to do with Spider-Man because the sponsor at the time was Bandai, and Bandai was looking for toys. And the Japanese shows were, I must say honestly, were commercials for toys. They were making these great metal die-cast robots and cars. By the way, that's the reason we have Marvel in the car. You don't really need a car to fly into a robot, do you?、But、no. Another toy. <laughs> I said, "Well, look, if Bandai needs a robot, then that's a goddamn good reason to put in a robot into Spider-Man."、Yeah. <laughs> yes. Necessity is the mother of invention. Are, are you? You're probably already aware of this,、uh, but, but correct me. Correct me if, if I'm wrong. The my understanding is that actually the the five ranger kind of concept had died out, and they were planning on canceling it. And then when you produced Spider Man, you reinjected. You reinjected this new hope into the genre. The as you say, the the genre was going down. We had been kind of overdone. But because they canceled a number of shows, Channel Twelve had an opening, 
an immediate opening and Bandai was willing to be the sponsor as long as they had toys. Now, one of the problems Bandai had was the early shows had like five characters and a lot of other stuff they could turn into toys. Spider-Man only had one character. So we had to put these other things in. So I said, look, we need a robot. We need a robot. Fine, let's go. So we came up well, with that idea. They had so much trouble with the Sentai series. Gorenja was so successful. I think it's yes. the only Sentai that ran for three years at the time. Yeah. And when they brought the second one in, it failed. It was failing so badly that they had to get the Blue Ranger, Blue Ranger to play big one in it. He's, by the way, Kamen Rider V3 and Kaikids is about that guy. They had to pull him in to pull it out, but it, it just wasn't as successful. And then until the third one, when you came in with Kamen Rider, it was supposed to be one Kamen Rider and that he was supposed to be like Inazuman or Skyder or Akumai. solo hero. He was a solo hero. But what happened was, you know, those guys did their own stunts. He got in a motorcycle accident filming it. They had uh, Fujioka to... Hiroshi. Yes. Fujioka Hiroshi got injured. So they replayed him with uh, a second guy. Sasaki. Yeah. And that was the second one. And that's how it and it's still continuing today. But there never would have been a second one that continued for all these years up until now if it weren't for that accident. So it was by accident that Kamen Rider is continuing. So it it's, been it's, just one the, the Japanese industry back then was so fad driven. Ultraman, which came out in 1966, was a huge hit. And then its sequel, Captain Ultra, failed. So mm. I, I think it's kind of a, it happened again. Go Ranger, Five Rangers, the predecessor of Power Rangers comes out and then it kind of fails. And that's where Gene comes back into the equation, which is- an American concept, Spider-Man. And they all loved the idea as long as we had toys in it. So we put toys in it and it worked. The merchandising and of the toys was huge. The money yeah. that rolled in was enormous. There's actually very few portrayals of Spider-Man in the toy world. They're all the robot. You know, this company called Popey made the, all the Le Leprodon is the name of the robot. And there are so many portrayals of him and so few of Spider-Man himself. Which makes a lot of sense, right? It's Spider-Man. So they form the robot, not after a spider, but a leopard. <laughs> yeah, it's, kind of, it's kind of a little bit well, odd, uh, isn't it? Uh, yeah, but uh, it worked. Gene, did you ever ask Shotaro Ishimori or whoever? Actually, I believe it was Katsushi Murakami who designed that. Why a leopard for, for Spider-Man's robot? Why not? I say, why not? Because <laughs> right. it, look, it looked good. It did. It, it looked great. <laughs> you know, once you get it on film, if something looks good, does it have to make sense? No. It, Definitely it not. That's it's it's the fantasy logic. I love it. Okay, so Spider-Man is doing really, really amazingly well. What did what did Stan Lee think of this? when he saw the Toei Spider-Man, because it's quite different right. from the usual thing. I'll redo the first time he saw it and the first time Marvel saw what we okay. did. First of all, I go to Japan. Japan is nothing to Marvel at the time, so they kind of cut the territory off. As long as you keep the stuff in Japan, they said, we don't care what you do. And nobody from Marvel really got involved. I did it all with Toei. As long as the money's coming in and you make good deals and the ratings are fine, we made our first show with the pilot. So you were you were basically the international division, like CEO of Marvel, basically at that point. Yeah, abroad. Yeah. Yeah. Not to mention, I'd stick a broom behind me and sweep up on the way out. <laughs> <laughs> There's only one person who was Marvel. right. Right. <laughs> when we bring all the people out, we're sitting in a screening room and we play the first one. This is in New York. This is no in Tokyo. They oh, in Tokyo, oh so they sorry. all flew over. Okay. Marvel had been bought by a company called Cadence. Okay. And the Cadence executives and Stan came out to Japan 
and we sit in a toy screening room and we play the first Spider-Man and the show ends and dead silence. Nobody says a word and I'm sitting there going, oh shit, I'm done. I'm finished. I'm out of here. They hate this stuff. <laughs> Except for one guy, Stan Lee stood up applauding and he said, this is great, Gene. This is a living comic book. Kids are going to love the action. Adults are going to think it's camp. Let's go with this. At that point, all the uh, executives said, Gene, great idea. Right. <laughs> that was the decision maker right there. We went ahead and produced actually a total of 50 shows, none of which ever left Japan. Everything was was uh, confined to Japan. Only. Right. So no Marvel got interested or cared or knew, except Stan and I would keep in touch. In the West, I think they only know, knew the Columbia Pictures version of that. The Columbia Pictures version of Spider-Man, which was the first Marvel one, was awful. Do you remember that yeah. one with like Spider-Man? The costume had like the bottle cap eyes. Oh, it's yeah. it's bad. It's but, you know, but yeah, the Spider-Man, the Spider-Man I grew up on, the live-action Spider-Man I grew up on was the Electric Company Spider-Man in the oh, kids' show, The Electric that. Company. He's he's like silent. It's almost like an art movie kind of thing. He doesn't say anything. <laughs> but uh, the Japanese Spider-Man that that Gene that Gene made come to life was on a completely different level from any of what the American special effects companies the were doing. that I noticed watching Gorenja and those early tokusatsu shows, I started examining them and really researching what made these shows so good. And what I started finding out was the actors, the stuntmen, were terrific. They didn't use CG. They actually, all that stuff you saw was people doing the... It was piano wires, acrobatics, ex People doing martial arts. It was at Japan Action Club. Japan Action Club. Oh, Sunny it's Sonny Chiba's. Chiba's. That's Sonny Chiba's organization, isn't it? Not? Japan. Actually, Sonny Chiba, people don't know this, but uh, he made his debut on the very first Toei Tokusatsu picture. That was yeah. uh, Nanairo Kamen. Yes. In, in 1958 or something. Well, Sonny Chiba was oh. Japan's Bruce Lee. Right. Now, when I Definitely. think of America, I compare Burt Ward, Robin, to uh, Kato of Green Hornet. And you know right. how much better Bruce Lee was because he could do all this stuff. In yes. Japan, I found all these guys who could do this enormously ex God, they trained everybody stuff. well. The first show we did, by the way, we had a guy climb the Tokyo Tower. Everybody <laughs> knows how big Tokyo Tower is. In the middle of Tokyo, there's this huge tower. They bring out a stuntman. He puts on the costume. No wires, <laughs> no nets, no safety, anything. They just said... Go ahead, climb that tower. And <laughs> there's, there's like rules against that now, I think. Maybe now you Well, it doesn't do it. matter because now you see the superheroes and they're all fighting in front of Saitama Super Arena and they explode right, the right. CG. I'm standing there watching this guy climb up that tower and I'm saying, geez, don't fall. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> actually, Spider Man will be over before it begins. Actually, the actor of V3 almost died because you know those cable cars when you go skiing or something, they have yes. those, like the gondolas. Yeah. Gondolas. He had to stand on top of one, and obviously they can't tie him down. And then when he was moving, he's doing all his stuff and everything. And for some reason, I guess the controller guy thought there was a problem, so he just slammed on the brakes. Oh no. He slammed on the brakes, he almost lost his balance in the middle. Oh Nothing wow. happened. And when I was a kid working as a child actor and everything and carrying around explosives and everything, it's amazing <laughs> not Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Can, can we can we circle back to carrying around explosives? <laughs> they made the child actors carry around explosives in Japan? Well, back in the day, we'd, we'd meet up at like Shinjuku Station 
I don't know if you know where that is, yes. uh, like at four or five in the morning. Sure. And we had to do the locations where we blew up stuff very, very far away because there's not too many paces in Tokyo where you can have motorcycles jumping up and down and let off that much. Pyrotechnics. Yeah, I mean, so well, we had to go. So, but then we'd always drive and pass by this like warehouse and we'd load up on this stuff. <laughs> we bring a little bit more than usual in case it was a mistake, but generally we tried to not do bloopers on that because we couldn't reach sure. times. Plus it was like the, you know, the it's not digital, it was on film. We had like big reels of film. So we were always profusely apologizing when we did a blooper because we figured that we burnt up film. Uh, like now nobody cares, right? Yeah, wait, so they, they put they put you, the child actors, on the same bus with the pyrotechnics? That's really I, incredible. When I did it, I generally traveled with like the henchmen, the evil henchmen in the bus. <laughs> and we ate together and then the other people would come and uh yeah we drive by like a warehouse and stuff and then they would load up and then we then we'd go to where we shot this thing and probably if you look at some of the old ones you know that place where it's just gravel it's just a, sure like a pit it's like yeah, a pit they, and a, um, a cliff they, usually a cliff. yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. A cliff on the side that, that that was one of the best places that nobody would bother you you can blow up anything you want <laughs> and nobody bothered the you early spider-man's everything's in the city spider-man is out in the woods because of this safety yeah that, that makes sense yeah but you'd be surprised so few people got injured with all the stunts and all the crazy stuff right. we were doing a, a couple of guys got burned like I, I was on a one of the common riders early and when i was really young and there was one there was one scene where the monster was talking on the walkie-talkie and he was irritated. So when he finished the walkie-talkie, he crushes it in his hand and blows up. Oh. So they really blow it up and he's sitting there and then they're waiting for 10 seconds while his hand's on fire. And then he's just sitting there, not moving. As soon as they go, hey, okay, you know, cut. He throws that thing and just screams bloody <laughs> right in the world. For wow. He blew it up and he just said, he just waited for it to go click. And as soon as that, and he burned his hand pretty bad. But that's craftsmanship. Like, yeah. he's, he, he he stayed in there. A true so, professional. Okay. So, Spider-Man Spider is getting made. So, Gene, what what is happening? What What is happening after Spider-Man is getting made? Like, what? this is a, very, a huge success in Japan. And so it must have raised your reputation in Japan, correct? Well, this raises my reputation not so much in Japan because I'm behind this. Nobody knows me. I'm basically in the business office or at the studio. As far as Japan, nobody knows me. Even in America, most of Marvel people didn't know who I was, but something was going on at Marvel at the time that turned very much to my advantage. Marvel was a New York City-based comic book company, but at the time they decided to get involved in TV. They bought a studio in Hollywood called the Patty Freely, which had been known for doing the Pink Panther. So they started a studio. They started doing Saturday morning animation and a lot of commercials for companies called Hasbro, people like that. So I'm sitting there, I've already learned a lot about Japan. I've learned about what Japan animation was like, and I loved it. The stuff that Japan was doing in animation was great. I mentioned earlier while we were in, in introduction that uh, I loved animation in the States when it was great. Disney, Warner Brothers, enormously good animation, which became, in my mind, very poor later with Hanna-Barbera and Louis sure. Spears and that stuff it became very limited. Now, all the animation, which is expensive, hand-drawn stuff was being done in Korea. I talked the Marvel people into trying Japan. I said, they do stuff in Japan that you guys have never done. 
this will be something different and it'll really work. Look at these reels. I brought them some stuff of what Toei Doga was the name of the uh, animation. The animation wing yeah. of Toei. The wing of Toei. I brought them some stuff and I said, look, just imagine doing this. You guys do the storyboards. I'll animate it in Japan. You'll find some great stuff. And the first one we did, by the way, was a commercial for G.I. Joe, the All-American uh, Hero. Wow. G.I. Joe came on American TV. The TV just exploded in color. You never saw anything like that before. Yeah. And everybody said, oh my, look at this. It just jumped out of the screen. Right. So, G.I. Joe, the All-American Hero. And nobody knew at the time we were doing it in Japan. Because it was after the war, nobody wanted to know that G.I. Joe, the All-American Hero, was being animated in Japan. Right, right. <laughs> right. Because, I mean, there was actually a lot of tension between Japan and America at the time. Not mil not just military, but economic, uh, you know, in the 70s and 80s. Right. There was still the remnants of the occupation was still here. So all you saw on the names were the people in America, the people who did the music, the people who did the storyboards. Right. And like that. And the Japanese names were not brought out. So well, it's was, ironic because now made in Japan is a badge of honor. Like kids want stuff made in Japan, but it, back yeah. when you were working, that wasn't That's the case. Wasn't there, who wasn't there a joke about that in Back to the Future Part 3 and said, no wonder this circuit failed. It says made in Japan. And then uh, right. Marty's, what are you talking about? The best stuff's made there. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> it was, it, it was right. like, you know, this piece of junk back the then. the flying car that Marty and Doc had? What yes. about the flying car that we had in Spider-Man? Yeah, exactly. It's true. Spider-Man's car is kind of the progenitor of the DeLorean. It's true. <laughs> it flies. A lot of people are unaware of Well, I think that Gavin gave the idea to RoboCop in the costume design. I, I don't know about the flying right. Spider-Man car. It's, well, anything's possible. But no, RoboCop, RoboCop to me was the first like American product that rivaled Japanese tokusatsu. But I mean, a, I, there was, was but the costume design was a little bit too close to that space sheriff Gavin. Uh, Gaben, uh, yeah. Gaben, I forget. Yes. Well, there's it's a true. couple of them, but uh, it was a little bit too close for so me. So the flying car is another toy. Right. Born. Right. So why have a car fly you into a robot? Why not? If we need another toy, we need. We got it. So there's your, the answer behind a lot of this stuff. Right, right. Just whatever works <laughs> and whatever makes money. I mean, yeah, at the time, I'm sure you're aware of this. There's this thing called the media mix where the toy company and the, the production company and the television station and the publisher are all kind of working in concert yes. to promote each other's products, right? We at night with all the guys. They'd be the cartoonists, the uh, animators, the actors, the people from Bandai and Poppy. There was a company by the name of Poppy, a toy company. Yes. We'd all go out drinking together and bullshitting about everything. So this is where I kind of got into it and watched the stuff that had been made before. And you know how Spider-Man in the first show changes into his costume? He jumps up in the air, does a backflip, lands, and he's Spider-Man. <laughs> yes, yes. But kids love it. They don't have oh, to yeah. see the thing. Wow, they go, look at that, Spider-Man. Well, henching poses started quite early on and now you have to have them yeah definitely actually i think, actually, I think <clears throat> some of the women writer henchings of the past 10 years have kind of been a little lame compared to the old ones where oh sure know, i mean they had so much strength and they had to put all this uh useless effort in uh you know they were almost looked like they were constipated or something and there was so much <laughs> it was really made an impact it was like wow that's cool 
And now they're just stuff a card in like a cell phone or something. It, I don't know. Yeah, whatever the iteration is, right? It's just like it, it, it yeah. seems a key to me, or something. Well, common, yeah. common rider doesn't even ride a bike anymore. Isn't he like riding a train? It's it's or yeah, something. He, He's driving a car. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, and soon they'll be riding taxis and things. I yeah, think exactly. Common uh, <laughs> rider hailing a taxi. If yes. was still alive, I don't think he'd be happy with the no. car share. Car, was it ride sharing? Exactly. Ride sharing, <laughs> common ride sharing. Exactly. So, Gene, you, Gene, you must have come into contact, as you said, you know, you went out drinking with these people and stuff like that and, and kind of exchange culturally exchanging business exchanging. What, what's did you have a close working relationship with with uh, Ishinomori Shotaro, the, the guy who designed so many of these live action shows? He's the first guy who kind of helped me. Now, I always referred to him as the Stanley of Japan. Call Tezuka Osamu, the Walt Disney of Japan, I'd call Ishinomori. And by the way, at that time, he was Ishimori, not Ishinomori. Right. And he and I got friendly. We hit it off. I'd go to his house. He'd come to my place and we'd be... His house was awesome. I loved going to his place. Yeah, tell me about his house. Ted, yeah, what about his house? He had like uh, one of these big, giant... God, how much... It, it must have been like, an, like a 10-foot Kamen Rider... Wow. Figure inside his uh, oh, garden. Really? I thought that was so cool. And then when you <laughs> go in his study and everything, he has all the books and a whole book because it's not just Orange on Common Rider. It was like Akumizer 3 and it was like Kill yes. Even the funny stuff like Robocon and stuff that that. And they had, I mean, everything was his animation and everything while well, he was so alive. prolific. Everything, so prolific. Yeah. Everything, you know? So, uh, so well, what was he like as a person? Was was he was he a sort of gentle person? Was he a boisterous person? What was nice he more like? I, I recall Tezka, Tezka as being the nicest. He, he right. was always, like always want to talk to me and everything. He was actually he was uh, the last one I saw. Well, Tezka was him. actually a doctor. Yeah. Right. I don't know. He Ishinomori Sensei. He he was really fun as a kid was a to fun be with. Guy. He was really fun to be with. I I loved going to his house. He, he was talked a grown to me up, a grown up kid. Actually, well, he was kind of like Stanley. He always, no matter how old he got, he was young at heart. And right, you know, it didn't matter how old or how young the person was, he could carry a conversation at the same level. It, and by the way, the first time uh, Stan and he met. They had a great time together. They would, even though they couldn't speak each other's language, they could. Is this Ishimori and Ishimori or Tezuka and uh, Stanley? Ishimori. Oh, okay. Ishimori and Stan. Stan. Wow, to have been a fly it, on the wall. I wish I could have interpreted. <laughs> that the, would have the been so great. Didn't matter. They were on the same frequency, so it, uh, I guess it worked. Right. That makes a, a lot of sense. Was it a little bit of a no communication going on, or was this when they no communication the pre the pre drinking phase of uh, discussions? Yeah, was Ishimori a drinker? Was he like a party kind of guy, or was he was he more laid back? That was more of the president of Toei, wasn't it? With you, the president of Toei was a big drinker. Mm -hmm. He was the king of the Ginza. Go out with all the hostess bars and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Ishinomori was more of a family man. I see. So, what did you work on post Spider Man? Uh, I believe there was a series called Battle Fever J that used uh, Marvel characters. Were you involved in that too? Well, I had originally signed a three-year deal with Toei and was Marvel. It five? Was it five years? I thought Three it was. I, I thought it was five. What I remember, because because you went from bat, you made Battle Fever J, then you made Denji Man, then you made Sun Vulcan. So and anyway, Spider Man. Wow. Finished. Yeah. Spider yeah. Spider Man finishes his run. We go to series two. What are we going to do? And I came up with a very loose adaptation of the Avengers, but Captain America couldn't work. 
So we made it Captain Japan, being this was Japanese. Right. Had to be a leader. Was run was. But actually, but Captain actually, Japan. the character uh, Miss America was uh, owned by Marvel. Yes. That one character. The other ones were made up for Toei. Right. And, was that Miss Marvel? Is that who it was supposed to be? Is that, that is that? Marvel. But it was Miss Miss America. And it was actually yes. was she a, was she was played by an American actress? Yeah, speaking speak Japanese, English. right? Her Japanese was so poor that they had to use the Pink Ranger from Gorenja to not only do the voice for her, but also do her stunts for her in the yeah, costume. Did, did she eventually leave the show early or did they, they replace her? Yeah. She stuck she it out. Left, for the... She left the show early and then they replaced her with a full Japanese. They're like, oh, that's I thought about trouble. It. I let's, thought get I somebody, that. let's get somebody right. who can speak so we don't have to go through that trouble again. But sure. it was like, uh, Lisa Komaki, the person who played the Pink Ranger in the original Gorenja. I see. Uh, who, who did all of her stunts in the costume, plus did her voiceover. So if you listen to the voice, it's the same voice. But it's, it's funny, even with animation, if you have the same voice actor doing two or three characters, nobody notices until you say something and you're like, yeah, yeah, now oh, oh, yeah. the same voice. <laughs> How come Ted sounds like uh, Peter Griffin? It's like nobody notices this kind of stuff until it's mentioned, but... Well, it's, it. it's fascinating to me because I, I, Gene's work, and I mean... Spider-Man to Battle Fever J, the only thing we carry over is the robot. Because that made right. so damn much money that we couldn't take it out. So that yeah. gets put in, that changes Tokusatsu. Forever. So you always have the giant robot. It's always my favorite part. Yeah. But you were, Gene, you were basically inventing the Marvel Cinematic Universe in Japan decades before it became a thing in, in America. I mean, this is really pioneering stuff. We were cut off from America. I really was in right. a different planet. Toei and I were doing the stuff. Right. As long as the money, the checks kept rolling in every month, Marvel was happy. They didn't need to see me. Well, actually, without the internet and everything, you were on a different planet because yeah, did not go back and forth. So a lot of these shows were called, or they were co-produced by Toei and Marvel. Was Marvel's involvement was pretty much just you, correct? Or was it there other people? There were no other people involved, just you. Well, you, you were constantly talking to Stan. I remember you were. I was either on the phone or I was on something called a telex. A telex, yes. You punch the holes through that yes. like, white tape, and you have mount, you have piles and piles of like paper mountains. That it's like a ticker tape kind of thing. I don't think kids <laughs> these days. I don't think modern day. I don't. Millennials have no idea what this is. Uh, it's that's that's old technology. Years, nobody's going to know what a fax is, but uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> these early tokusatsu days is I'm totally on my own. Right in, America, in Japan, working with Toei, and America's connection was getting a paycheck every week, and they were happy. Sure. Plus, we were starting to bring some of our toys, you know, again. Then the big thing that happened was Marvel bought the studio in Hollywood and they got into animation and I talked them into working in Japan. Then I became very much a part of America. I see. Actually, some of the Saturday morning cartoons, we were cutting so close that I would take a reel, you know, and put it under my arm and get on a plane and fly over to LA. Yeah, wow. You handed me a can of a, a big Pink Panther reel of like, what, a 35 millimeter, a big did, giant did you, can. Was it a carry-on or did you check it? Uh, <laughs> Good I question. Think we, I, I think we did the carry-on because I, I, it was great because I always got to go fly in LA. I used to always go get free trips because... He, yeah. he, when he didn't do it, he'd give me the can to take there. You're a courier. Yeah. 
Yep. So, okay, what what animated series were you involved in? Is brokering the word producing here in Japan? Do you remember what animated series? Marvel producer in Japan. Okay, and which so series specifically? Some of the series: Dungeons and Dragons, okay. My Little Baby, My Little Pony, uh, Spider Man, Spider Man and Friends, Spider Man and Friends. I think your first one was Pink Panther. I remember yeah, that. That was not for broadcast. That was for a test. I was going to prove how. Yeah. Pink Panther is a very difficult character to do. It's the only character without a black outline on it, so the souls uh, are interesting. And if you look at Pink Panther, the expressions are very, very cultural, very difficult to do. And I said we can do it. So they to prove it, they did a storyboard that we animated in Japan. And I think I told you the story, Doug, earlier. Yeah, was, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you about that. Big problem we had was the cultural thing, which I was always involved in. There was directions underneath the storyboard that says, "Put a truck in here." Now, truck in at the time was a camera move. That's when you took it from a mid shot yeah. to, into a close shot. That's called a truck in. But it's a zoom. I guess nowadays you call it zoom, but you always just right. say. Right. Uh, interesting. Okay. So just like language, linguistic and difference. Yeah. This is a truck in and a truck out, but everybody says zoom in and zoom out nowadays. Right. So, so we're watching Pink Panther, and suddenly in the middle of a Pink Panther scene, a truck drives through the street. <laughs> People say, why? Why? It doesn't make sense. And I'm looking at the storyboard, and I say, put a truck in here. We so did. Oh, and they did. We did. They did. <laughs> Speaking speaking of trucks, so uh, you know, Bond, um, uh, Hasbro, and Marvel and Toei were involved in a very big production called the Transformers. Were you involved in that at all? Well, yes. no, well, yeah. That why did you bring? Because you and Stan did the Shogun Warriors comic in the seventies. Shogun Warriors comic. Please I was tell me ask about that. Tell me about the Shogun Warriors comic. I want to hear that's about that. That's where Transformers comes from. A lot of people don't know that. So he did all the Transformers. Uh, the shows, but you also did the motion for the, the, the movie. movie as well. Because Stan started watching these robots and said, you know, we should do a comic book about robots. Right. So I came up with the idea of the Shogun, Shogun Warriors. Warriors. So we had that. That gradually evolved and new. Evolves through the connection of Bandai on one side and Hasbro on the other side of Transformers, which became a little bit of a hit. Yeah, just a little bit. Slow yeah, on. that was a big hit. Yeah, Takara, <laughs> I believe Takara was the company, the toy company on that one. I think wasn't that Microman? Microman. Yes, Mike. It started with my Henshin Cyborg, Microman, yeah. and then Micro Change, and then the Transformers. Yeah, title, executive producer for Transformers. I don't know if you see the motion picture or the cartoon. Right. I think it was. I, it is it is astounding to me the level of animation in that Transformers movie. I mean, it's putting aside the plot or anything else that just the amount of hand effort that went into each one of those frames is astounding. So Gene, you were obviously aware of of the craftsmanship of animation here in Japan. Were you like like directly at the animation studios or are you just conveying I was at the animation studio virtually every day going through wow. the boards going through the dailies? I don't know if you call it dailies now, but a couple of minutes of what you had animated, I check it and say, that's good. No, that's not good. Let's go here. Let's change this guy. I was responsible for bringing in the Japanese animators that I think would work the best. Okay. And actually, your favorite one was the one who recently passed away recently last year, Suda-san. A Japanese animator, Suda. 
Masumi Suda. I don't know if you know. Ah, uh, yes, yes, his, yes. His, his first his one first job was at Toei with me. was Speed Racer, the black and white, like, uh, right? The classic. And then ever since he's been doing through the seventies, he did all those classic ones, and then he did like Hokuto no Ken in the eighties. Sure. And I, Fist of the North Star. Yokai Watch was his most recent work that he yes. was working on. Well, I bring right. in Suda, and by the way, he marries the translator that I'm using. <laughs> you're 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 midwifing this international <laughs> culture and and relationships. It's amazing. And so after Transformers, I believe you were executive producer on G.I. Joe the movie, correct? Yeah, Joe the American Hero, right? Yeah. That the opening of that is absolutely crazy to me. It takes place, it's like a battle around the Statue of Liberty, and it's like Japan's view of America in just like one cut. It's 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 the most amazing thing I've ever seen. So you're really at the forefront of this of this internationalization, I guess, of, of Japan and America working together on this animated culture. I was the bridge between East and West. Yeah. Right. But then again, it was 360 end of the dollar, so that made it possible. Yeah, that was a <laughs> We're heading that way again now, it sounds yeah, like. I know, right? Not I don't too know far if we can go uh, that far. Uh, right. I don't know if that'll ever come back. But Every day, open like, up the well, newspaper. Americans were rich when they came to Japan. Sure, sure. Because the dollar meant something back then. Yeah. Because we couldn't have afforded to work in Japan. Yeah. I think you, yen to the dollar, didn't you keep do on it. doing the animation until about 220 end of the dollar? And yeah. I think... And then it just got to it wasn't, it wasn't economically it, viable. No, because I mean the cost didn't change, but to the American side who were paying, it was a big change all of a sudden, you know. So we started taking some of the in-between work to Korea to right. say we do the a company called ACOM, A-K-O-M. We mm -hmm. do the in-betweening, then we do the main stuff in Japan, and they would do the in-between to keep costs down. And then we'd hire a lot of outside studios to do camera work. Everything was getting to be a real pressure problem because of the dollar. This is this is amazing stuff. I could I, we could keep going on this all day, but I have to ask about the big the big eight hundred pound power gorilla in the room, which is the Power Rangers. So Power Rangers obviously is the descendant of Go Ranger and all of these shows. Were, were you involved in in bringing that to the states at all? What was your connection? It's one that causes me a lot of grief today. Oh God! Oh, how much geez. do you have? Both my biggest success and my biggest financial failure. I'm sitting in Japan watching what's going on, and I'm saying to myself, look at this stuff that we've got in the can. Right. We have Gorgia, we have Sun Vulcan. We own this stuff. I said, this stuff would make a tremendously great American cartoon. All you got to do here is cut out the part with the Japanese actors. The expensive scenes are already done. Expensive yeah. scenes are all done. Yeah. Stuntmen in costume. The explosions, explosions of fighting, all the expensive stuff. The shooting all you got to do is do the studio shots using American actors and cut in what I call dupe neg, duplicate negative. And I use see. all expensive stuff and you've got to show at one third the cost that if you produced it in Hollywood. So I made a reel. Stan loved the idea. He We did it with Sun Vulcan. Sun Vulcan it. was the first Power Rangers, but I nobody's see. ever seen that. Nobody's seen that. I make a, a pilot reel and I bring it over to L.A. We had a studio in Sherman Oaks, California at the time. And I show Stan and he goes, incredible. He said, this is, people are gonna love this. And Stan went out to try to sell it to the TV stations and syndicates. But the problem was at the time, Stan was still not the big name that he was. He was a New York comics book guy. He wasn't the head producer that he became later on. So he failed, unfortunately, he didn't sell it. 
I went back to Japan because I had to produce those shows that we were doing in Japan, Dungeons right. and Dragons, G.I. Joe. And a woman by the name of Margaret Lesh was president of Marvel at the time. She quit Marvel, took my reel, hired a guy by the name of Haim Saban to produce and sold the show to Fox. They renamed it the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, which became a little popular. Yeah, it blew up a little bit, didn't it? And that is, that's a painful story to hear. Yeah. And it was, if I'm not mistaken, you mentioned earlier that, was there a connection with Saban to Marvel prior to that? They, were they connected with some of the, I, I want to remember. There's this pink, uh, the, the Patty Freeling days. Saban was with the, was with the Patty Freeling before it became the Marvel studio. That's he what was, I was okay. doing. He was a big name in doing Saturday, music. Saturday, Saturday, morning, Saturday morning cartoon music. He was and kind of the, the intros and all that stuff. Men's movie. He was the biggest music producer for music guy know, for cartoons. He'd sit in a viewing room with Margaret and those. And Margaret talked, talk, well, she was the one who made the sale to Fox and she right. brought him in and he believed in it. So that was Heim's connection to it. And then he saw in a number of magazines, I had talked about how this could be done. I said, use Duke Neg and you've saved two thirds of the cost of a half hour. Right. Just cut to the American scenes with American actors when you cut out the Japanese actors. And I said, you've got a full budget show for a third of the cost. Heim's later to take some credit for that, as you know. You still have that pilot tape. I know we used to have it swimming around somewhere, unless it's melted by now. Yeah. <laughs> the first one was a Sun Vulcan Power Rangers. Right. And it was basically based on this concept. And that was way before. But the commercial part of it was yeah. the fact that it was so cheap to make. Such sure. A great job. Well, the- it's, it's a shame that it played out that way, but nothing can change the fact that you were so instrumental right. in, in laying all the groundwork for this and, and being the bridge between America and Japan. And absolutely, it sounds to me, would not have happened in any way, shape or form without your uh, hard work and persistence there. So that, that is a really amazing story from the, an untold story, I think, from the Japan and American pop cultural world. Yeah. The archives, the blasts of the past, the golden moldies from the graveyard. <laughs> No, no, no graveyards. This is this is pure heaven for me as far as I'm concerned. I mean, for somebody who grew up on this stuff as a kid, it is so amazing to hear the stories and behind the scenes. And as you said, you know, I don't think many people in Japan know this story either. It's true. But now you know the rest of the story. Yeah. Exactly. That is exactly right. Doug, did you have anything? I know you said you had to, it's like 1230 your time, right? You, uh, 1130. 1130? Um, I'm okay. good. I can ca- keep talking forever. <laughs> I can keep this up all day. No, um, you're cool. Whatever you want to go, we can right. we can keep going. No, I I wanted to ask you a couple more questions. Um, you know, first of all, again, like like Matt just said, I mean, you were a pioneer in introducing, you know, or bringing Japanese art. It is art, you know, it is to, art to the U.S. And I mean, we wouldn't have GI Joe, Transformers, My Little Pony, you know, all these classic titles, iconic things. classic iconic. You know, we wouldn't have these titles without your intervention and, and just bringing that to the forefront like the ability to have those generated in japan and brought back to the u.s so i mean i mean you just beyond well, super sentai beyond tokusatsu but i mean just in general you've touched on so much guys you guys since you're into this let me ask you the question what do you think is the biggest selling comic book in american history comic book I, I, yeah i, I know yeah. the answer to this but i want doug to answer this hey, i'll let doug try it oh man so, not, not Marvel or DC or just anything? Well, anything, it was Marvel. Any comic book. It was Marvel, but anyway, it's... 
I, I was going to say, I bet DC was wishing the, uh, the, what was it? The death of Superman was probably, they were hoping that would be the highest. Uh, right. <laughs> they printed it like that. But uh, going back to another story from Japan. The first one that we did was St. Francis, Francis of Assisi. Okay. So it's a Bible story. Yes. It's a historical religious story. Right. Now, how that started, that started in Japan. How did that start in Japan? Yeah. I go to church at a Catholic church. I'm Catholic. And a priest comes to me. It happened to be the 800th anniversary of St. Francis of Assisi. And he said, Gene, why don't you guys do a comic about the life of St. Francis of Assisi? We could reach another audience that we've never reached. We can reach people in church, but we can't reach people in the streets. You're with Marvel. And I said, well, I don't know. That doesn't sound like something Marvel would like. So I said, is there any way the Catholic Church can pick up some copies of this so I can have a guaranteed sale? Let me try to promote this in America on a business basis. And they said, yeah, we'll distribute it to churches, schools, hospitals, anything that Japan, that Catholic Church is involved in, which is huge worldwide. You, you realize how many churches there are on the globe. Oh, right. That's, right. That's, Number. that's yeah. a lot of copies. Yeah. So I said, look at who is your distributor to reach all those points. And it happened to be a company called the Paulist Press. And I called Paulist Press and I said, Marvel is thinking of doing a comic book of St. Francis of Assisi. We'd like you to run it. And I teamed up with a priest who happened to be a big fan of comics. And he and I went to Paulist and they asked for about a million copies in the first run. So now a big selling Spider-Man was selling about a million, about a hundred 150,000 comics a month. I sit down with the president of Cadence, who was running Marvel, and I said, look, I've got this idea to do St. Francis of Assisi. And he said, gee, nobody wants to hear about religion. They want superheroes. I said, Paul's Press is willing to buy a million copies up front. Run. And he said, Gene, this is something we got to do. <laughs> <laughs> and you did do it you did how, yeah. how was it how was it received i mean you know when it came out was it was there a lot of talk about it yes it was a huge hit and it was so big that marvel came back to me and said gene can we do another one and i said at the time by the way pope john paul was a very popular pope he traveled the world a lot of people knew about him so I thought to myself, and I had a connection to him through a Polish priest. I said, I wonder if the Pope would be interested in doing one of these. So I asked Marvel, how would you like to do one about the Pope? And they said, how are you going to talk the Pope into do a, doing a comic book? And it was during the U.S. as the Soviet Union occupation and all of that. This was so during, it right, remember the Soviet right. occupation. Didn't you have to get an underground pipeline or something yes. to get the information back and forth from his So wow. I had a friend who was a Polish Jeez. priest, and he connected me to the Pope, and I had a meeting with him when the Pope visited Japan. And I showed him this, the St. Francis book, and I said, Pope, no, I didn't actually say it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> which was first? I can't even remember which one. Was the Pope first? Or Pope was he, second. He, I, was I showed him St. Francis and I said, "Right, this is the first one we've done. And he said, how about I be the second? Right. And he went Pope John the second. Pope John Paul the second. There you go. Said, oh God, if we could Sequel. do that, this thing would be huge. So they did that. That became another million seller. Wow. So it actually outsold Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, Thor, Captain 
America X Men, whatever you right. have. Yeah, that's Ryan. pretty amazing. I mean, it's what a career, Gene. Spider Man, Ishinomori Shotaro, the Pope. I mean, few people can say that they've had this this many uh, you know interactions with such hallowed presences in their in their uh, life and career. I love your book right now, since you're on a third one. I guess it was a mother Mother Teresa after that. Uh, all right. He had I nothing see. to do with that, but now he's working on a book. When are you I've written a book, by the way, about. Oh, I want to hear about this. We haven't told anybody I'm about it. For a but... publisher. Oh, so what, what's the book about? I'm sorry. Okay, now many people aren't aware of this, but of all the developed major countries in the world, Japan has probably the lowest number of Christians of any developed nation. One percent of the population. One percent of the population is mm -hmm. Christian. The rest are not. That interested me. I started looking at. Why did this happen in Japan? Korea has a tremendous number Philippines of Christians. Philippines sure. But Japan has no Christians. Why? So I start researching it and I found out that there was actually a time in Japan called the Christian century in Japan when there were a lot of Christians, Franciscans and uh, Jesuits. Yeah, 16th century, 1500s. Going back to the 1500s, 16th century. Mm -hmm. There was, and then I looked into what happened there and I found out the reason for Japan didn't like Catholicism and they didn't like Christianity. They interpreted it as a threat to the shogun's control of Japan. It's okay first in something, some politically, some political. Tokugawa, control. I believe, yeah. right? So they, Oda, wanted to, they wanted to stamp it out. Well, actually, before him is somebody by the name of Hideyoshi. And sure. during mm, his yeah. time, he finds out that there's too many Catholics taking away from the Buddhist power. Sure. So he orders the assassination and crucifixion of the early Christians. Oh, yes. Yeah. I've written story of that. Oh, wow. That's great. Well, you know, there's, I think there's Tokugawa definitely a market for that. Tokugawa comes in and uh, shuts <clears throat> the door on Japan to the West, which was never reopened until Admiral Perry came years, yes. years yeah. later. Well, I mean, that's Shusaku Endo's silence is about that, right? What? Silence. Silence. Silence by uh, Shus Shusaku Endo and then uh, later made into a movie by uh, Scorsese, correct? Correct. Which failed terribly. And by the way, the reason there's several reasons. My story comes before silence. I see. What caused silence? Silence is the story of the persecution of the Christians in Japan. What caused that? That is where my story comes in. But it's not just a history book. Yours, you made it into a story. Well, it's a historical fiction. Okay. Well, I, ho I hope there, we get to see it sometime. There's characters in it to make it so it make it more palatable palatable to, to a, a somebody wants to see audience. a movie sure sure it's a good idea yeah you, you, you'll have to let us know once uh once you find, you a, find book, a publisher a publisher and, and a publisher maybe you guys can help me well maybe when this comes out somebody's going to hear about it and uh reach out to you yeah excellent he got a little too close to it and he got too uh watching the details rather than the big story i think he got too into it where he'd show the story of a person stepping on the cross over and over and over till the point was we got it you know <laughs> right. he did great stories like uh well all of his gangster stories were classics but when sure. he went into this i think it was too close to him and he did not produce an exciting film he was rather tedious well hopefully yours will be uh the, the antidote that that genre has been looking for yeah. What caused silence and the closing of Japan to the West? It's that story. Now that has not much to do with Spider-Man. I don't think either. that's going to become tokusatsu, but 
giant robot. No giant robot. No giant robot. No giant robot. I was going to ask just a couple other questions. I mentioned earlier that started in Japan that a lot of people are unaware of that we did. Ted and I do had a lot to do with this. We started the forerunner of the UFC, the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Right. It was a company called the UWFI. And this was a group of wrestlers wanted to shoot, but their shooting didn't mean guns. It meant fighting for real. Mm, I yeah. had an interest in martial arts because mm. I had an accident when I was a kid. And I used martial arts as a form of rehabilitation. So I was attracted to this wrestling program that these guys were doing. And we, I produced a show in England called Bushido, The Way of the Warrior. I've and heard of I that. Did, I've heard of it. The, yes, I've heard the title. That, I, I, I did the color for that show. You were the commentary? Yeah, I did the commentary. Oh, that's funny. That is so funny. It's funny because in that company, I, I originally came from the shooting. Now it's called Shuto. Mm. Are you familiar okay. with that? No, no. MMA, it, it was the first MMA company because the original Tiger Mask is the one who put together the first version uh. of MMA. Actually, this whole concept started in like the late 70s with New Japan. But with New Japan Pro Wrestling, they were very secretive. So all of this stuff was like in the dojo and it never got let out. So nobody knew about it. So if this. you take a look at Bushido, mm. The Way of the Warrior, you'll find our names on it as executive producer. And the shoot wrestling pay-per-view. And then the next thing that I did was a series of pay-per-views called Shoot Wrestling, It's Real. Nice. So wrestling. Anyway, it actually morphed into uh, UFC. One of our first fighters was a champion in the UFC, Dan Severn. I see. Oh, wait. Dan, Dan, and he went on to be in WWE Dan after that, right? Dan Severin, and also like with the UWF movement, Ken Shamrock was, you know, with the original UWF right. too. And uh, yeah, I was about to ask it because I know they they were really close in terms of they they trained together, right? Like, so, yeah, so it was kind of funny because uh, like Shamrock and Severin would go to WWE, they'd say, oh. The WWE managed to grab some uh, UFC-grown fighters. It's not true because UFC opened in 93. Shamrock was already a pro wrestler in the 80s. Yeah. He was already fighting for Pancras, even after UWF. It was way before he got, but I don't know. I guess the Brazilians were really good at marketing. Mm. Marketing. Uh, you know, the, a lot of the information that they didn't want to come out didn't come out, and they sure. kind of had their alternate history of what happened. remember we developed the Gracie Hunter. What's that? No. Sakuraba. Kazushi Sakuraba. He started with us in the U UWFI. Okay. He beat all the Gracies. Yeah. Him and uh, beat the Gracies. And actually, Sakuraba wound up being in the UFC Hall of Fame, but they never talk about his UWF days. or And they never talk about shooting or shooto. But that's not Tokusatsu either. That's not Tokusatsu. <laughs> that's, that's real. That's, that's real. No. We're, I mean, we're, we're kind of going off in a different tangent. Right no, it's, now. All, it's all good yeah. stuff. It's all good. It's all good. I was going to ask you about your notable projects or businesses that you've had over the years after Marvel and Tokusatsu and all that stuff. Obviously, you've working on a book or have it written, looking for a publisher. The wrestling and and mixed martial arts. And then, what do you? What else do you have uh, business wise going on? All right. Since after that, one of the things I got involved in was merchandising, music merchandising at venues. Okay. You ever heard of somebody by the name of Paul McCartney? Oh, yeah, I think I've heard of him before. I believe he's done a few songs. <laughs> yeah. right, I did the merchandising for groups and artists such as Paul McCartney, Bon Jovi, 
Madonna, Lady Gaga, pretty much anybody else that you want to mention has come I, to Japan. I've done them. I think you've done wow. everybody with the exception of Eric Clapton. I think you've done everybody pretty much. I can't think of anybody. It's pretty much if they if they came to Japan for a tour, you were the merchandise being yeah. like T-shirts and posters and things like that. Programs, programs posters, posters, any kind of trinkets, whatever. I see. Whatever okay. You put in your pocket. My Interesting. Person, by the way, let's go back again. Duran Duran. That sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was the first one I did. First one? Oh, wow. In Japan. Yes. At Korakuen Stadium, if anybody remembers. That was before they built the Tokyo Dome. Was, was this like, Stadium. you know, we're, we're talking to like the Reflex and like all of those big yep, 80s yep. hits. The original. So this is like that yeah. tour. The, the, Hungry Like the Wolf. Hungry Like the Wolf. Yes. <laughs> now I have the song running through my head. Thanks. Uh, so are are you still are you still doing the merchandising and for like tours until when they COVID. do come until I COVID? Yeah, yeah, right. Now I don't know what's going to happen right now. We're thinking of other projects I'm of and other stuff. Few things. All right. So well, Doug, what are the fun questions? The fun questions. Fun All right. Questions. So we're going to bring it back to Tokusatsu for a second and ask both of you, Gene and Ted. And I think Gene, you already said this, but what was your favorite Tokusatsu show of all time? And it doesn't have to be like a mainstream one. It could be one of those kind of side ones that we didn't talk about. I kind of like Goranja and uh, one just before that was Common Rider, because that sort of introduced me into the business world and, and the world itself. I yeah. really had, I know I'm aware of some of the earlier stuff like Gecko Common, but you know, I was not involved in that. It was when I got involved in it that I really started watching what made these shows tick. Why are they so good? Why are they so attractive for kids, even who don't understand them? And I was looking at all the work that they did. The music, by the way, was excellent. Yeah. Oh, and the I music started, is iconic. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. I started listening to this and putting all the pieces together for Spider-Man. So that's okay. where it comes from for me. And I do did like a guy by the name of Kaiketsu Zabat. Oh, yes. Kind of the guitar playing hero. I, guitar. I used to think of him as the Japanese counterpart of El Cabal. <laughs> that reference is one that I, I can't exactly follow, but I'll roll with it. Yeah. El Cabal, an American animated character who hit, hit the opponent over the head with a guitar, and it was El Cabal. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Got it. I'll okay, have to Google it later. Ted, you go. I don't know. You took my way. My answer was Kai Kitsuzubat, but because uh, out of the Ishinomori products, and I've heard somewhere somebody's told me that actually Kai Kitsuzubat was Ishinomori's favorite creation for Tokusatsu. And okay. It was played. It was played by Hiroshi Miyauchi. You know him. He was the original Blue Ranger in Gorenja, and he was Kamen Rider V3, and he was also in the second Sentai series as Big One. I don't know. He always strikes me as being like the best Tokusatsu actor. And uh, I, I like Zubat because it was so different from the other superheroes. They weren't monsters that were exploding. It was more of a realistic okay. superhero where the instead of trying to take over the earth or do something, it was somebody, it was like a dirty politician who had a good reputation, but he was doing things or it was a drug dealer or it was like a gangster doing something, trying to steal somebody's property because he found that there was something buried in there. It was more realistic, the storyline. Well, kind of it was grounded, right? It was almost more like a macaroni Western, a spaghetti Western kind of thing. That's why used I with it. Clint Eastwood. Well, right, yeah. it was from the Japanese Watari Dori Shiris and, uh, he, he carried the guitar and uh, actually he didn't do like the henching poses. He had to carry his suit inside the guitar, which actually right. when you think about it, didn't make any <laughs> sense that he could play it with, but it made sense no. at the time as a kid. And he was very realistic. And I, I liked the fact that he was the only superhero that could be cool in a bar. 
he, he could be drinking a whiskey, smoking a cigarette, but he still was a kid's hero that Bondi right. could boys out of. And nobody right. else did that. And I thought that was so cool that when he was doing the Spider-Man things, I was like, God, I wish I could get that actor in Spider-Man. I don't know how you managed to pull it off, but from one episode, you managed to get that actor to go right. in. If you could look it up, uh, actually, that actor from Kai Kids is a Bat is dressed up exactly like Kai Kids is a Bat. And he makes one appearance in a Spider-Man. In Spider-Man? Yeah, it's kind of a crossover episode, isn't it? Like an unspoken crossover. Yeah, because I he was always like my favorite actor in Toei. And cool. Then probably my that second, is so great. Fujioka, who, by the way, he looks great even at his age right now. He can. Yeah, Fujioka Hiroshi is really, he's on TV all the time these days. Could you imagine Japan? like after all these decades, he can still hop in to go in front of the camera and pull off that Kamen Rider act. He still looks damn good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just glad he didn't hurt his. I know he hurt his back. That was what you were talking about earlier on, but he seems to have uh, recovered well from it. Actually, that accident was like a blessing in disguise because nobody would know coming right, or it would have been finished after that one. Ah, uh, yeah. It would. It would have been like an Inazuman or something like that. It, right. Right. Or, like, or any of those old solo characters that there was just a one-off, and then there was something new. So it was just the publicity from that accident that you think kept the show going. No, I think it's just because they replaced with a second one and everybody liked the second one. They said, oh, wow, maybe we can do a third one. Ah, uh, like a built-in yeah. sequel sort and of, it, I see. It, yeah, and like the Sentai series, it ended up just continuing forever. But if it weren't for that accident, it would have just been Kamen Rider would have been like a, a Schneider, or a Schneider Zero One or Inazuman yeah. or Akamizer 3 or a Kyodain or any one of those. Right. One and it's finished. And then so it came and went. So the pivotal points in, in, in Tokusatsu history are that accident and, that accident, I and then that Stan Lee opinion. saying he loves Spider-Man. Tokusatsu. Uh, <laughs> I mean, because that kind of yep, launched that off and that changed all of Super yeah. Sentai for the for and the better. Good because he was Stan's favorite character. Oh, yeah. He loved what I did with it. I changed it so much and yet he loved that. So Stan and I became, he was my boss, but he was also my friend. And I guess your pilot film that you and Stan put together, the, the first Power, Power Rangers or what would be the Sun Vulcan pilot one, right. the American one that you cut together. Right. Yeah. yeah that, you, you, that, that started, obviously. Not a lot of people huh. are aware of this. I did a, a, a movie called... Um, what, the Dracula one? Dracula. The two movies. Oh, the animated one? The, the animated, animated one. movie. Oh yeah, Toei's Tomb of Dracula. Yeah, that was uh that came out that in was, what the 80s? That was my yeah. idea and I brought that to California and tried to sell it but it went nowhere. Didn't it get canceled and you did it anyway with half the budget or wasn't there something wacky with that you went ahead without the budget? I went ahead without the Hollywood budget. We had to do They they pulled out last minute the money or something. Well, what what was that about? Yeah, because I took this to a meeting and I remember one of the TV executives watched it and when it finished, he said, this sucks. <laughs> Jeez. That Actually, just, to, that just to your face. That's, like, that's rough. Jesus. That's yeah. really, I mean, vi visually, I've only ever seen thumbnails of it. I've never actually seen the entire series, but I love it's the idea of this cross-cultural thing. The music was Superb. incredible. The soundtrack, if you can find that on YouTube. I'll seek it out. Yeah, yeah. I'll I wish check I it could out for see sure. that again, but uh, yeah, you you get a big credit in the beginning. Yeah, but... because I held that idea together when the budget fell apart. So we did a lot of things to keep the budget low, but it okay. Yeah, so, so it was a bit shocking for American audience. Something that was done realistically like that it was way before its time to actually see blood and people biting with real blood and teeth. Right. So that didn't go anywhere, but that's something else a lot of people are unaware of. Huh. I see. Like, again, just another thing that you've touched that 
again, we're trying <laughs> to bring light to this because I, I you've exactly been, you've had such an impact on just like just all these different things that are huge. You know oh, that was, people don't yeah. realize. touchstones yeah, really touch, touch, yeah. touchstones of, of culture not just pop was, culture culture this this is kind of made me off track i don't know if it's on track i wanted to ask you guys a question sure i heard that there and i see i looked it up there's a rumor that in the ending scene of every spider-man that he did it was the exact same footage because the costume got stolen do you know anything about that <laughs> who who would steal spider-man's costume what, Let what me tell you something. Crime. I, I, I'll, I, I want to clear this up once and for all. I don't know who started that. Number one, nobody stole a costume. Number two, if they stole a costume, Toei was cranking out costumes right. like you can believe. Right. There were right. right. for every week. I mean, they could have stolen a hundred costumes and it wouldn't have made a dent in that. And right. I knew the, in the studios, I'd always go run to the, stu uh, the warehouse, the guy uh, who kept all the costumes in this huge warehouse, he was in charge. And I said, can I take any of your garbage that you don't need? But he, a lot of them, they would recycle. Right. And he would give me, and he says, I'm not recycling. And he'd give me a lot of costumes to take home with me. Oh, what? wow. As so a I kid, that must have been that must have been oh, amazing. Yeah. I had a monster costume. I it, it melted in the summer, so I had to get rid. But I have a couple of the henchmen's costumes and a couple. Oh of wow, that stuff. Oh, do you, do you have um, any of the iconic like a uh, common writer henchman shocker costumes? guys? Yeah, or like that? I have the Spider Man here. I have I have uh. one from this. I have a henchman of uh, Sun Vulcan, and I have a henchman of Common Rider Super One, which is kind of nice because I I appeared in one of the Super Ones. Cool. And, memories uh, a, couple, hey, and yeah. a couple of the other things what a souvenir but, what a souvenir but anyway when i asked this old guy who was reaching the end of he's got he said i'm going to retire soon because i'm really old and i said how old are you and he says i've been in the business since gecko common so i'm old oh. <laughs> and uh i i because said gecko uh, commons the 50s i believe right 40s yeah. no 50s yeah it was it, it was a 50s and it the, the guy who created gecko common by the way that wasn't toei it was a different company that still exists today but is out of the tv business it was the same person who created nanaido common which was the first tokusatsu for toei right i was talking to him and i I don't know why I remembered this. It, it, I totally had forgotten this until I heard this silly rumor that somebody stole a costume. Leopard and turned into the Denji Robo, Denji Man's ro Robo. Yeah. Oh, and take a close look at it. He, like I said, could I have that costume? And usually he'd say, No, no, no. I'm going to doctor. I'm going to change this to do something else. Oh, this one I'm not changing. You can take this home with you, and then I take home. But a lot of them, he things right. got changed, and they would, you know, recycle them for different shows. Anyway, Leopard and became Denji Man's robot. And look closely, you can see it. It's in there. Look at his back and look at the front. You can see it. I'm going to go, I'm gonna go look at the pictures. A lot of yeah, stuff, definitely. A lot of stuff are budget driven because the budget sure. was so small. You had to figure out ways to cut costs every place. Remember yeah. the sword, how it lit up, and then the funny, that weird mushroom cloud explosion that looked good at the time, but now it looks ridiculous. Right. <laughs> That's expensive because that was you know the top of the line special effects back right. in the day yeah so right, they right, just right kept right. on reusing that scene so no costume got stolen and even if it did it wouldn't have been a problem toei knew how to crank out costumes every two seconds well when they took the crews out on the road they would be shooting two or three episodes at the same time to save the budget how oh, that makes uh, sense that yeah. makes a lot of sense it's interesting how much these these kind of logistical things affect the plots and the and the and the you know the way the shows are actually turned out but i guess that's commercial art for you yeah. you know what i mean like yeah. you said gene necessity is the mother of invention 
you have to go from one city to another. There's a train, bus course, there's hotel course. Right. All of those could be cut over two or three different shows and the budget split up so you could do it. It was a tremendous uh, fact. I remember as a kid, I, I was acting a lot, but God, riding the bus, that was a long time. I, I was like riding the bus with the with the bad guys and the henchmen and some of right. the post. Like it seemed like hours and hours and hours. Oh, I, I bet. A lot of the Japanese actors telling me, Gene, you don't realize because you're from America where you have this huge budget. We don't have these budgets to play with. Yeah. Right. That's why an actor right. was also carrying props from one room to another. We all used to sure. pitch it. Even like with the kids, we'd carry stuff around, we'd help them. And then them, then obviously it wasn't dangerous, like with the explosives and everything, but like they'd hire, they'd hide the wires under the dirt. So when the Kamen Rider guy with the like the motorcycle jumped off, off the ramp, there was two nails. And when we touched the two nails, it would blow up. And uh. just, but everybody was helping and pitching in and running around for that. So it was like, it was really like a family almost. It was like a group and project. And I think that's one of the charms of tokusatsu is that the actual actors, you feel them doing this thing. You know, it's not CG. It's I don't know about nowadays. Special. Nowadays, it's probably they have bodysuit actors and the guys aren't really doing it. At that. the time, it was all those people doing the, the stunts yeah. and the moves. A lot of it, yeah. And I found that to be very attractive. I look at some of the common writers now and they don't look very athletic to me. I don't believe that they're doing anything. I think, I, as, as I think they do have they a lot of suit actors and whatnot. They have bodysuit actors and the actors only talk. They don't do anything themselves. Yeah. Right, it's split up like that, right? Human well, beings. it's tough, I think. It's probably Probably pretty tough to find that Sonny Chiba-esque, you know, can fight and act at the same time. You know, fighting is a skill. That's a skill you have to hone. Acting is a skill you have to hone. Yeah. It's, you know, it's like uh, finding a comic book artist who's also a storyteller. There's so many who are great artists. Some are great storytellers. There's very few who are both. Yeah. But on that note, gents, I actually have to run. No, Matt, I can circle back with you. Um, but I was just okay. going to say thank you guys so much for joining us. It has been uh, an absolute pleasure. I appreciate you taking time out of your day to uh, to sit down with us and share your stories. And, and I'm glad we get to share your story to our audience and mm -hmm. let them know some of the things that they definitely, um, I know a lot of them, probably aren't aware of. So um, I, I will also link to some of the other YouTube videos and like Marvel 616 on Disney+. Plus or feature some of your other, like, you know, some of your backstory and some other additional details maybe we weren't able to cover today. So I'll put that mm -hmm. out there. And if there's anything else, just let me know. And I can absolutely share that for you. Okay, sayonara. Sayonara. Okay. Such sayonara. an honor, Gene also, and Ted. Also. It's always an honor. Excellent. All right, guys. We'll see you guys. Thank, Thank you guys. so much. Thanks yeah. a lot. And that's it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning into the Crew of Japan podcast. We have a lot of thanks to hand out today. First off, thank you to Matt Holt for joining us for this episode as a co-host. If you haven't read Pure Invention or listened to Pure Tokyo Scope podcast, you really are missing out on so many stories similar to the ones you've heard today. Deep dives into a variety of pockets of Japanese pop culture. You can find Matt on Instagram at AltMattAlt, A-L-T-M-A-T-T-A-L-T, and on Twitter at Matt underscore Alt, M-A-T-T underscore A-L-T. And you can find his podcast on Twitter at Tokyo underscore scope, T-O-K-Y-O underscore S-C-O-P-E. Check the show notes for more links and check back to our inaugural episode where Matt was our first guest ever. And of course, the stars of today's podcast, a massive, massive, massive thank you to Gene and Ted Pelk for taking the time to share these incredible stories with us. 
So much insight into the business of the film and animation industries, as well as an oral history of all these interactions between iconic pop cultural legends like Stanley and Shotaro Ishinomori. I went into this interview thinking I'd learn a little bit about tokusatsu, but definitely came out of this conversation with so much more knowledge on how Gene truly was a guiding hand for so many aspects of pop culture. He was a true pioneer in the pop cultural sphere that deserves so much more credit and attention. Were you aware of Gene Pelk's impact on tokusatsu like Japanese Spider-Man and his influence on the Power Rangers and other American cartoons? What are some of your favorite tokusatsu shows? Share with us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Crew of Japan Podcast, Instagram at Crew of Japan Podcast, Twitter at Crew of Japan, that's K-R-E-W-E-O-F-J-A-P-A-N, search us on Facebook at Crew of Japan Podcast, and on TikTok at Crew of Japan Podcast. While you're there, give us a like, follow, retweet, share, or whatever else you want to do. We love comments too. Let us know how you're enjoying the podcast. Or perhaps, maybe you prefer to provide feedback in a more private setting. Send us an email at crewofjapanpodcast at gmail.com. That's K-R-E-W-E-O-F-J-A-P-A-N-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Speaking of feedback, if you're enjoying what you're listening to, go and leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast streaming app. Trying to get that rating game up still, y'all. Let's go. But seriously, any and all support is greatly appreciated. And lastly, don't forget to come hang out at Japan Fest on October 8th at New Orleans Museum of Art. We'll all be there. Or if you can't make it there, come out on October 12th at 6.30 p.m. to Stone Auditorium in Waldenburg Arts Center on Tulane University's campus. In partnership with the Tulane Asian Studies Program, Japan Society of New Orleans and JETA Mid-South, the local JET Program alumni chapter, will be hosting a discussion on all things Godzilla featuring Dr. William Tsutsui with funding provided by National Association of Japan American Societies. We'd love to see you there. But that's it for today. Until next time. Spider-Man.